Shalom, shalom. Welcome, welcome, world changers. Tonight's another night into getting into the prophet Isaiah, chapters 35 through 39 and Psalm 76. It's going to be an awesome time as always. All right. So we got William. William, by the way, welcome, William. Good to see you over here on this side of the world. Do you reject the writings of Paul as scripture? Okay. So <laughs> it's a big question because, okay, some people ask me, should we throw out the letters of Paul? I always say, no, don't throw out the letters of Paul. Should we reject the letters of Paul? Well, I mean, that's kind of, I mean, what do you mean by that? The word scripture is, uh, simply means writing, okay? It means writings. That's what it means. Uh, the Hebrew word ketavim means writings, okay? Um, by definition, I would not say that Paul's writings are not writings, okay? That they're not scripture. I, t I look at Paul's letters for what they actually are, factually are, not what man tells you they are, not what a, a, a pastor tells you they are, what what history tells us they are, what Paul himself tells us they are, okay? Uh, so, interpreting this question to mean what a lot of Christians mean today, basically what a lot, when people ask, a lot of Christians would ask today, do you reject the writings of Paul of Scripture? What, the, uh, uh, what they really mean, I mean, Literally, what that means is, do you reject the writings of Paul as writings? Because scripture just means writings. Actually, uh, by definition, William, your question is scripture. By definition, it is scripture. Um, and so, yeah, see, th this is this is Christianese, right? This is Christian lingo being used here. So what what uh, normally what a, a evangelical uh modern i say modern christian today would mean when they ask a question like this to rephrase it is do you do you accept paul's writings as holy word of god every single word is holy word of god and i think this is the, uh, the question here as well william are they inspired by the holy spirit okay the word inspired again <laughs> it doesn't mean what your pastor tells it tells you what it means okay uh it means to be moved okay it means to be moved so paul he quoted the prophets he quoted the torah many times so in that sense yes absolutely it's inspired of the holy spirit what you need to understand is and see uh, uh, this is this is the problem a lot of christians have an overly simplified overly simplified overly simplified concept of what it means to be inspired. I always bring this up when I when I talk about inspiration. For those of you who know me, you know I always bring this up, okay? So, I mean, I, you know, so I, I write, so actually, I was actually working on a song earlier, okay? Sometimes people, William, you can you can inspire me to write a song. 
does that mean that you actually take a hold of my hand and and physically make me write your words? Is that what that means? No. No. It means that you move me to write a song. Does it mean that the song is perfect? No. William, you can move me to write a letter. You can move me to write a letter. I can say, you know what? William, you've inspired me to write an article on my blog. Does that mean that every single word that I write is actually your word speaking through me? No. It just means you move me to write it. Okay? So, in the Bible, first of all, the Bible is not biblical. Okay? The Bible is, is, is really a man-made idol. Okay. I believe that the scriptures should be the way they were back in the days of Jesus, and Jesus had no problem with it. So, again, to be inspired means to be moved. I can be inspired. You can be inspired of God. Perhaps you were inspired of God to, um, to ask this question. Okay. Does that mean that every single thing you write is the word of God? No. Paul, let me tell you what your pastor won't tell you. Let me tell you what your favorite evangelist won't tell you. Paul said himself in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 12. Let me just pull it up just so you guys know. I'm, I'm not just saying it. Okay. 1 Chronicles Excuse me, 1 Corinthians. I keep on saying Chronicles when I mean Corinthians. 1 Corinthians, okay? This is what Paul said himself. To the rest, I say this. I, not the Lord. I, not the Lord. So, obviously, Paul himself said that what he, write, what he writes here is not the word of the Lord. Again, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying it's wrong. It's wrong. You can get, you can, uh, there are a lot of books. There are a lot of uh, writings of literature that are perfect, but they're not the, the inspired word of God. Okay. They're not, they're not God speaking to you, to, like to, to you today. For example, you might buy a, uh, um, you go to the you go to the store, you go to the computer store, you buy a um, a monitor. In that monitor, in the monitor box, you might have a little instruction book or a little you know warranty manual or something like that. That can be a hundred percent perfect. That can be inerrant, inerrant. Okay, because just because it's inerrant doesn't mean it's the word of God, and just because it is inspired doesn't mean it's inerrant. When it says in the when it says in the scriptures, "Thus saith the Lord," quote and unquote, that is the word of God. I believe that what the scriptures say is the word of God. Is the word of God, which are the words in between the quotes. Okay, the rest is either narration or someone else's word. I mean, let's let's look at it for what it really is. Do not believe man over what over what the scriptures actually say about themselves 
Do not believe man over what the scriptures actually say about themselves. Man will tell you, hey, this is the holy, this, this is the holy Bible. It even says holy Bible on here. Well, it's the holy Bible. It says holy Bible because it is the holy Bible. It has to be the holy Bible because it says the holy Bible. And because it's the holy Bible, every single word in here is God's words, God word, uh, God speaking to you today. That's what man tells you. But if you open it up and read it, you won't see that. Yes, it is. It's got a lot of the word of God in it. Lots of times it says, thus saith the Lord. This is what the Lord God of Israel says. The Lord God has spoken. And it's quotations, right? God said, let there be light. I believe the word of God is what God actually says. Okay. So yes, uh, Paul's letters do have, a, I mean, quite honestly, quite, you, you, want, you want the truth? Paul's letters misquote the word of God quite, quite often. Actually, I will, say, I will say this, William, could you find one passage that Paul actually quoted from the so-called Old Testament that he actually quoted correctly? Could you? I'm not saying there is, uh, that, that there isn't uh, such a passage, but I'm telling you, you might have a hard time finding it because Paul misquotes Scripture so much. Okay? So, the construction of the Bible, what I mean is, I assume, William, the, from the way you're speaking, correct me if I'm wrong, but I assume that you're, you are probably a Protestant evangelical. Maybe I'm wrong. Correct me if I'm wrong. But if you are, okay, you will have a 66-book Bible. That 66-book framework is not of God. I'm not saying the books within it are not of God. I'm just saying the framework itself. How do you know it's not 74 books? How do you know it's not 81 books as the uh, Ethiopian Orthodox Christian Church it has? 81 books in their Bible. How do you know it's not, it's not 109 books as it says in 2nd Ezra it should be? 109 books. Actually, that was even before the New Testament. So that would have been, uh, you know, over 130 books. Okay. So this is the thing. And this is, this is my, this is one of my biggest problems with, with the church today. And that is there, they, they have carved an idol, which is their, their, um, their Bible canon. It's an idol. You know, your history Actually, Marcion, which was denounced as a one of the great one of the greatest church heretics of all time, uh, denounced by uh, several of the early church fathers as being a man who was full of evil spirits. Uh, Polycarp even said that he was a um, um, son of a son of son of the devil. Said that Polycarp is the son of the devil. Now he's the one who started the whole thing about. The New Testament, but well, I'm going to I'm going to make a, a a Bible canon. 
I'm going to take the, the letters of Paul and the Gospel of Luke, put it together, and I'll call it the New Testament, and everything else is called the Old Testament. That started, that started by the Son of Satan. Before that, each book was kept separately. There was no Bible canon. I'm just giving you what is, I mean, most, if not all, Bible credible Bible scholars would say this is this is historical fact. That's the way it started. Over the course of time, over the course of the next 300 years after Marcion, then church church officials, um, unknown church officials, by the way, uh, started throwing more books into the New Testament. Well, well, we'll put in 1st, 2nd, 3rd John. We'll put in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, um, and John. We'll put in, um, you know, the book of Hebrews. We'll put in the pastoral epistles. We'll put in the book of Revelation. And we'll do all the, we'll put in the Shepherd of Hermas and the Epistle of Barnabas. So by the time the fourth century came around, there was a, a large, uh, sizable New Testament, which included books that you don't have, by the way including the Shepherd of Hermas and the Epistle of Barnabas. And pretty much ever since then, the Bible has been chiseled away, chiseled away, whittled away, whittled away. Well, you know, the, the Roman Catholic Church comes around, well, we'll just whittle out, we'll take this, this piece of wood and we'll carve out Second Esdras because we don't like it. You know, we'll carve this, oh, we'll carve out the the uh, the Shepherd of Hermas because we don't like it. We'll carve out the Epistle of Barnabas because we don't like it. Oh, and then the, the uh, Protestants come around, well, we'll carve out the Book of Tobit. We'll carve out the Book of Judith. We'll we'll carve out the Wisdom of Sirach. And, we'll, we'll, and it's just, what they're doing, what they have done, they have made themselves an idol. An idol. That God is against holding the Bible canon as if it's an idol, as if it's the perfect work of God. Where? Where did God ever say that? Never. Never, right? So it's very important to understand. In the, the full scope of Scripture, there are scores of books and each of these books, each of these books are written by different, like we got different authors that wrote different books. And each one of these authors have a different rank on a, of, of authority within the, within the scripture. Different authors have different levels of authority. That's very clear. We read about this from, um, say, in um, Numbers chapter 12, okay? It's very, very clear. God made it clear by God's own word that Moses was the highest of all of the prophets because he spoke to him face to face, even more so Exodus chapter 19 in a public way. Okay, so Moses was the highest because God spoke to him publicly and clearly face to face. Whereas, as it says in Numbers chapter 15, the other prophets, God did not speak to them in that way. God spoke to them through visions and dreams and riddles and things that are hard, kind of hard to understand and hard to decipher somewhat, okay? There, and then, so in the Tanakh, which is unfortunately called the, the, the Old Testament, um, in the Tanakh, 
we have at least three levels of scripture. We have the Torah at the top, we have the Nevi'im under the Torah, and the Ketuvim under the Nevi'im. Okay? Very important to understand this, William. Jesus understood this, and he operated by this principle that I'm about to share with you. The Torah has the greatest authority. The Ketuvim has the least authority. It's not like all one book. Again, it, it, to put all of the scriptures together in one book and slap Holy Bible on it is a great disservice to the church and to the world. It does a great disservice to the church and to the world because it's very misleading. It makes it look like it's all equal. It's not. Far from it. And the Jews, the Jews understood this and, and understand this today. And Jesus understood this. And I'll prove it to you. You look at the temptation of Christ. Now, in the Jewish mindset, because of the idea of the, the hierarchy of Scripture, Jews know that the Torah is the way to defeat the devil. It has the greatest authority. Therefore, you use the Torah every time to defeat the devil. Jews will tell you that. It's no mystery. It's clear. So during the temptation of Christ, Jesus used Deuteronomy, which is part of the Torah, every time to come at the devil. He didn't use the Nevi'im. He didn't use the prophets. He didn't use the Ketuvim, the writings, the scriptures. He used the Torah every time without fail. When the devil quoted scripture back to Jesus, what did the devil use? He wouldn't dare use the Torah. He used the bottom of the barrel. He used the least authoritative of the, of the books, the Ketavim, to quote to, to Jesus. Super important to understand. There are dynamics to scripture. So when you say, uh, you know, are they inspired by the Holy Spirit? Well, someone could argue that all of the books of the Bible are inspired, but you need to understand they're inspired in different ways and in different, different levels. There's, there's, there are dynamics here. It's not all static. It's not all overly simplified. We got different authors with different relationships with God getting the word of God in different ways. Okay, Moses got it publicly for everybody to see and hear, whereas some of the other prophets only got it like privately and, you know, kind of behind in the closet, so to speak. So we got different authors who received the word of God in different ways, having different relationships with God. As it says in Numbers chapter 12, Moses had a face-to-face -face relationship with God, whereas the other prophets did not. So the relationship means a lot. If you have a greater relationship with God, the um, the ranking of your authority within Scripture would be relative to that relationship. Jesus understood this. This is why he used the book of Deuteronomy every time. Every time. He understood this principle that I'm trying to convey here. And the devil understood it too. The fact that Paul quoted, or at least attempted to, although he misquoted a lot, he attempted to quote scripture. What I mean by scripture is what was considered to be scripture in those days. Remember, in the first, 
I'm trying to think how many years it's, it was, uh, it was, it was a considerable amount of time before the new Testament was ever even considered to be scripture. And it was in, in, in the letters of Paul and the, 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 uh, book of Luke was put, that was the first new Testament put together by the son of Satan. Does that tell you anything? Okay. So you need to understand these, these dynamics. Someone can be inspired by the Holy Spirit and still get it wrong. You can be inspired by the Holy Spirit because inspired by the Holy Spirit doesn't mean that you're perfect. God doesn't work through per perfect humans. If he wanted to, he would create humans perfect, but he didn't. Okay? It's his delight to work through fallible man. It is God's perfect will and his delight to work through fallible man and fallible hands. I'm just telling you the truth. This is fact. Okay, this is fact. So don't, do not buy this overly simplified whole idea of, well, if it's inspired, it's got to be perfect. And it, 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 Paul's inspired. Well, he never claimed to be. In fact, there are several authors of the Bible that probably never claimed to be inspired. Now, don't get me wrong. I, does that mean they're wrong? I'm not saying they're wrong. That's a totally different topic. That's a totally different subject, whether they're right or wrong. They can be perfect. They can be absolutely perfect and still not inspired. They can, their writing, their, what they wrote could be absolutely perfect and still not inspired and vice versa. It can be inspired and still not perfect. Why? Because inspired doesn't mean that God makes a robot out of you. God is not, God never has made a robot out of people. Okay, that's not part of his will. That's not how he works. One could argue the devil works like that. The devil works like The devil makes a robot out of people. You know, possess people and make them do things. Force them. You know, so you have to take it with a grain of salt. I have never, I have never advocated for throwing out Paul's letters. Never advocated for that. He says, he says some good things. He says some things that we need to question. Like I said, he quotes from the so-called Old Testament, and many times he gets it wrong. In fact, I'd like to, I'd like someone to show me one time he actually got it right. <laughs> I mean, let's be honest. Let's be honest here. I'm not tickling your ears like, like your pastor might, okay? I'm not tickling your ears. I want to be factual. I want to be truthful. I want to be, I want to tell you the historic truth. What really happened? What is it really all about? Thank you for your question, William. Cat Cool says, Shalom, Shalom, Cat Cool. Christina says, Hi, everyone. Hi, Christina. Welcome. Good to see you. Good to see everyone here. Blessings, blessings, blessings multiplied to you guys. By the way, in, in just a moment, and I'm just going to go through the live chat here quickly, and we will get into reading Isaiah. We're going to be reading several chapters of Isaiah. It is going to be absolutely phenomenal. It always is when we read through the scriptures, right? So we're going to be reading through it. We're going to be discussing it. So 
I'm really excited for what we what's going to happen uh, tonight. And this is a good, this is a very interesting um, uh, concept, Billy, that you mentioned here. Uh, inspired, yes, but wrote by man. Anything man touches, man corrupts. That's a very good, that's some pretty good wisdom there. Only God is perfect. And that's an awesome point. You know why? Because God never wrote a book. I mean, he could have. And I know that your pastor and your evangelist will tell you, your, your, your church leaders will tell you, oh, yes, God did write a book. It's called the Holy Bible. He just used man to do it. Why did he use man? Did he have to? Did he have to use man? Fallible man. Couldn't he just write a Bible? Write the Bible. Actually, he did write one thing himself. Okay. Those were the first set of tablets that Moses had. The first set of tablets was written by the finger of God. Not by Moses, not by any man, was written by the finger of God. You can say that is perfect, absolutely perfect. But Moses smashed them, and it was rewritten by the, by the hand of man. Okay? It was rewritten. So, apart from that, I mean, God could write the whole entire Bible with his own hand and, and drop it out of the sky. God could send angels. He could send Michael. He could send Gabriel to come to earth with the Holy Bible from heaven. But he didn't. He did not. And for a good reason. Because God knows that if that ever happened, he, uh, we, I should say, we would be, um, we would be idolizing it. We would be making it an idol out of it. We would be engaging in the abomination of bibliolatry. Bibliolatry is basically making an idol out of, a, out of a book. God does not want you to make an idol out of anything. No other gods before him. And the Bible canon is a god to many people. Okay, and so yes, God, God, uh, God didn't write it. When Jesus was here, he had all he had the great he had a perfect opportunity to write to write his own book, the book of Jesus, but he didn't, and for a good reason, for that very same reason, he knew if he wrote it, it would be worshipped, it would be worshipped, because it would be hundred percent infallible. God doesn't work through perfectionally he 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 chooses to work through fallible man what i'm telling you is just the absolute truth question for move ask the question uh, i went to indigo on sabbath and noticed tanakh translation i look at the translation genesis 1 2 it reads like a wind from god sweeping uh would it be unforgivable sin not sure how to explain it um i'm i think i know what you mean what you mean uh question for move but i don't want to assume could you please rephrase your question um and there there are different translations of the tanakh as well like we 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 often pull up the safari version uh and the safari version is actually there are different translations from the safari version as well uh, one of such, I think the default translation from the Safari version is uh, the Jewish Publication Society translation. Yeah, this is this might be the what's maybe maybe there's something like this that you read. Uh, the earth being 
So verse one, when, when God began to create heaven and earth, the earth being unformed and void with darkness over the surface of the deep and a wind from God sweeping over the water, um, wind from God or others, the spirit of, yeah. I think I know what you mean there, question for move, but just to be sure, I don't want to assume, if you could please rephrase that question, I would appreciate it. Austin says, you mentioned that you, you experienced the new birth by listening to a tape. No. Did you receive the spirit by the law or by the hearing or, or the hearing by faith? Okay. You got it all wrong. <laughs> Everything's wrong. Sorry, Austin, you got it all wrong here. No, uh, I, I did not experience the new birth by listening to a tape. The tape uh, that I believe you're referring to, the one that I purchased back in July of 1992, was an instrument that God used to draw me to himself. I mean, listening, uh, when I was, uh, as a youngster as I was back in those days, I put that tape on and I listened to it. And listening uh, to that tape was an instrument that God used because it had beautiful music and beautiful scriptures that were read uh, over that music. And, um, and God used that as an instrument to bless me, to draw me in. Now, that's not when I got born again, okay? I, I got, what I believe, uh, when I got born again, now where'd that book go? I know you guys know what book I'm going to pull out here. Um, uh, that, uh, where'd it go now? Yeah, the um, Winning Spiritual Warfare book. Oh, here it is. This one here, okay? When I read this, now there, I, I would not, no, okay, get me, don't get me wrong. Don't misunderstand me. Don't misquote me. I am not saying that this is what actually got me. I mean, I got born again, like, my born again, my experience of being filled with the Spirit of God was an ex it it, does, it didn't happen like not everything happened all at once. It was a process, okay, that led me up to the event of getting born again, or as I would say, filled with the Spirit of God. Okay, so it was a process, and this was the last step in that process. The tape might have been one step to that process, but this was like the last step of the process. Um, winning Spiritual Warfare. Now, this book taught me whatever that was. This book taught me the actually taught me the Torah. Actually, but this guy, this guy is not really a Torah observant, but he has Torah principles in here of obedience and repentance. It's actually seven steps of 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 repentance. Okay. Uh, it's an, it's an amazing book. It's like seven steps. Each, each step has, um, has a prayer, has a scripture and a testimony. Step one, counterfeit, counterfeit versus real, which is about, um, renouncing all of the, uh, false religions and false doctrines and, and anything to do with uh, stuff like spiritualism or new age or uh, occultic stuff or any other kind of religion. It lists all kinds of different stuff in here. Uh, that's the first step. Okay. It gives you a scripture on it. It gives you 
a testimony of someone who has been uh, in, in, in that topic, and then it has a prayer. S- uh, step two, deception versus truth, okay? Um, and it talks about that. It's got uh, the scriptures about deception versus truth, um, a testimony and a prayer. Step three, bitterness versus forgiveness. It has, um, again, the scripture, the scriptures where Jesus said, basically, if you don't forgive, you will not be forgiven. I mean, that's Torah. That's Torah. Um, and, you know, wonderful uh, testimonies of people who have forgiven and, and, and received great healing because of it. And a prayer, um, you know, teaching about it. It's an amazing book. I mean, uh, I still remember that, that's, one of the, that's one of the steps that actually stuck out to me more than others because... I have read, just like how many of you, maybe Austin, you have, you've read the Bible many, many times over. I've read, I've read the, the scriptures about, um, about forgiveness many, many times over. But I never, me, I never thought about actually putting it into action. I mean, I read it and I'm like, yeah, I agree with it. But I never thought about actually doing what this book encourages you to do. And that is to spend some time to sit down and to pray and ask God to show you who you need to forgive and to work through it step by step by step by step in intricate detail, intricate detail, like, Father, show me who who I need to forgive. And you say, like, for example, let's say, John, um, well, you're a, little, you're a little boy and John, you know, um, smashed up your bike or something like that, smashed up your bicycle. When you say, Father, I forgive John for smashing up my bicycle. Okay, very, very detailed. You go through it. I mean, a lot of people have a lot. A lot of people need to forgive a lot of people. And it can take hours. Because when when you seriously sit down with God and you seriously... Honestly, ask God to show you everybody you need to extend grace to. He will show you every, all kinds of different people. He will show. He will bring names or faces to your mind, and you could you, know, you pray through every single step. And this is what this book leads you to do, which is Torah observance. Actually, step four: uh, rebellion versus submission. Submission to God versus rebellion against God. Pride versus humility. Huge, my, great step. Uh, step six, bondage versus freedom. Uh, talking about how some people are there, they are enslaved to different sins, lust and uh, different, um, you know, kleptomaniac or, uh, you know, whatever. I mean, and, and working through all of that. Um, step seven, equations versus renunciation. Okay. So, I read this book in one sitting, and at the end of this reading, after it, uh, step seven, the prayer goes like this. I'll paraphrase it. Father, now that I have repented of all of these sins, now that I have put all of these sins behind me, now that I am in obedience and, and humility and you know, in, in obeying you, uh, now that I've cleaned my house, so to speak, now that I've cleaned my heart, so to speak, now that I have come clean with you, Father, now I ask you to fill me with your spirit. And I asked and, and I prayed that and 
my, oh my, I never knew. I never, I never, I did not expect what I received. What I received, nobody told me. I, I, I had no clue what was coming, what happened, but um, I felt something leave me. And then I felt, I felt the spirit of God fill me, like really fill me with, it was a tangible, tangible presence and feeling. And I felt full for the first time in my life. And I thought, man, I never even knew that I was empty before. And after I experienced that, I'm thinking, anybody who's ever experienced something like this, you don't need anybody to convince you that you're born again. You don't know, you don't need anybody to convince you that you are filled with the spirit. You know it. When you have the spirit of almighty God, the greatest person, the most powerful person in the universe, fill you. You don't need a pastor to go, oh, congratulations. Guess what? You may not know this, but you're born again. You don't need that kind of nonsense. You know it. You know it. So it was by obedience to God's laws. I didn't even know what. It was by obedience to God's laws that paved the way, just like John the Baptist. Prepare the way of the Lord. In fact, if that's a, that's a very poor translation of what John the Baptist actually said, because in the original manuscripts, what John the Baptist was saying was, get off, get back on the way of God. You've fallen off the der you've you've fallen off the derrick, so to speak. You have sinned. You need to repent and get back on the way of God. Just like John the Baptist prepared the way for the Lord, so this helped me prepare the way of the Spirit of God. You cannot invite the most holy. You cannot invite the most holy spirit in the universe into a vessel that is dark and filthy. That is an abomination. That is disrespect, dishonor. It's horrific. You need to prepare yourself. You need to prepare yourself. So quoting, quoting the most... Yeah, quoting Galatians. When did you know it? Galatians. Did you receive the Spirit by the law or by the hearing of faith? By the hearing by faith. What can I say? Um, because, I mean, this, this is Paul's doctrine of faith comes by the law, comes from the law. His whole exposition about faith in Romans chapter 10 is quoted by, he quotes what? What does he quote? He quotes the law. In fact, the books of Moses. You see, this is, this is, what, this is what happens when you get impollinated, okay? This is what happens. Because you, this is why. It's this particular thing right here that has cost the life, the millions of souls of Jewish people. Because once you understand what the law actually says and what the actual scriptures actually say, when I say actually scriptures, I'm talking about the Tanakh. The scriptures that in the, in the book of Acts, in the days of Paul, 
the letters of Paul were not considered to be scripture at all. I mean, not considered to be holy word of God. They were just considered to be the letters of Paul. You look at Acts chapter 15. You look at Acts chapter 15. When Paul, I mean, he escalated. It's like, what, what, what do the Galatians have to do to get saved? Do they have to, you know, do they have to obey the entire law of Moses? Do they have to do this? Do they have to do that to get saved? What do they have to? Well, we'll escalate the matter to Peter and James. So Paul, the so-called the apostle to the Gentiles, he has to go to James and Peter to talk about the Gentiles, to confirm, to escalate to them, because they have way more authority than him, obviously. Not only that, but when he did bring that up to Peter and James and all the elders of the church, who, who, I challenge you, Austin, who said, oh, Paul, why are you asking us? You're the specialist when it comes to the Gentiles. You are the apostle to the Gentiles. Hey, Paul, hey, James, hey, James, yo, we got Paul asking what, you know, bringing this whole thing about the Gentiles. James says, Hey, it's Paul, man. I mean, he, he's the he's the, he's the apostle to the Gentiles. What's he doing? Uh, he knows. Uh, just ask him. Ask him. Don't don't ask us. I'm being sarcastic for a reason because I want to I want to show you the contrast. They did not. They did not give Paul a word in edgewise. They did not rely on any of Paul's so-called wisdom or knowledge. They didn't even ask him for his opinion. They, as rightly they should do, they actually are the ones, actually James was the one, which rightly so, put in, he was the one that was put in charge of the church, not Peter or Paul, for sure not Paul. James was the one that was put in charge of the church. So he's the one that brought down the final word about what, about how the Gentiles are to be, how they are supposed to receive uh, be received into the church and ob obtain salvation. What are they supposed to do to, to obtain salvation? He's the one that brought down the final word. So the, it's 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 an it's an uh, incorrect question. Did you receive the Spirit by the law or by the hearing of faith? If it's just hearers only without being doers, it's vain. It's useless. If your if if your spirit is just it's just got to do with hearing without actually any action, it's just surface level. It doesn't mean a thing. Faith without works is, you know, dead. And I guarantee you, I guarantee you that dead faith will not get you an an inch toward heaven. Dead faith can't do anything. And furthermore, Austin, please understand, the law came by the spirit. The law, the spirit of the spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, is the spirit of God who spoke to Moses. They're not, they're not two different gods. I mean, let's not be Marcionites. Let's not be like the Marcionites. They're not two different gods. They're the same God, the same spirit. When Moses was up there on, on Mount Sinai and all of the word of God that he received, he received it from the exact same spirit that Paul claims to go by. The spirit of God. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of the law, is the spirit of the Torah. So asking me, did I receive the spirit by the law or by the hearing of faith? It's almost like asking you, are you living right now by your heartbeat or by your breathing? That's about the same kind of question. And I understand, you know, you've been reading Paul. What I, what I, what I highly recommend is that you read the Torah. 
who knows how long, how much you've read Paul. Maybe you're just, maybe you're just repeating what you've heard other people preach. Maybe you have read, read Paul's letters over 50 times. If that's the case, I would encourage you to go, go to the foundation and read the Torah over 50 times. Actually read the entire Tanakh over 50 times and then come back to Paul and give him the Berean treatment. Acts chapter 17. Okay, Paul, I'm not going to believe anything you say unless I find it in scripture, which means Tanakh. Okay. Back in those days, again, they did not consider it. The New Testament didn't exist. So you receive the Holy Spirit by obeying the Spirit of God. How do you obey the Spirit of God? By reading the words of God that came by the Spirit of God and obeying them. It's like saying, did you receive, did you receive the Spirit by man? Or did you hear about, did you get the entire gospel preached to you by an angel? And God forbid it's just by man. It's all by man. You get these people who say, well, you're not saved by works. Well, you're saved by somebody's works and not just Jesus' works either. I mean, let's, let's be honest here. A preacher, according to Paul's own words, you cannot be saved without hearing the word of God. And you cannot hear unless there's a preacher, which means works. So if Johnny, Pastor John comes preaching the gospel to you, and you believe and you get saved, you're saved by Pastor John's works. Plus, you're saved by all the works of those who, came, who, who, who led Pastor John to the Lord. And all the way down the line, you're saved by the works of the people who work in factories to print Bibles. You're saved by everybody's works that work what they believe to be the work of God. You're saved by the works of the early church fathers. You're saved by the works and the tradition, not just works, but the traditions and the, the, the uh, church tradition that actually brought you the Holy Bible. God did not dictate the framework of the 66-book Bible. God did not dictate it. There, there wasn't even a false prophet that claimed to be a, a recipient of God's word saying, here's a list of 66 books. Not even a false prophet said that. I mean, if you have a prophet that said that, then that's one thing. Then you have to test it to see whether it's of God or whether it's really truly of God or not. But we didn't have anybody that says that. Nobody. Not one. Nobody at all ever claimed to receive a direct revelation from God or an angel from God or an appearance of Jesus or anything like that to say, here, here's a list of 66 books or 71 books or 73 books, whatever Catholic Bible or the Orthodox Bible or the uh, 81 book Ethiopian Orthodox Bible. No one ever claimed that. It's just, it's you're putting your faith you think you're putting your faith in God, but it's not. You're actually putting your faith in church tradition and man all the way through 2,000 years worth of it. It's what you're doing. It's the truth. I know people might like it. People might not like it, but it's the truth. William says, what are your thoughts on apostolic authority? Um, <laughs> again, here we got all these cliches. So let's see what... Apostolic authority meet by definition, okay? An apostle is somebody who is sent. You, you can have you can be an apostle of Christopher. 
If I send you to do something, hey, can you get me a drink of water? You are, by definition, if you decide to, even if you don't decide to, you are, by definition, an apostle of Christopher. By definition. See, this is the problem with uh, King James Version Bibles, especially King James. Other ones, too, I know as well. But um, because J King James is so famous, popular, um, it has really done a great disservice to the church because they take words like apostolos in the Greek and they instead of translating it, which they should translate it, but they don't, they transliterate it and makes it look all special. The word apostle is just transliterated. It's not even translated. And so it makes it look all special. It's not that special. I mean, it's special. If you're call, if God calls you to to if God sends you to do a work, which I believe God probably sent millions of people to do work to do a work, maybe even billions, I don't know, but millions anyway. So by definition, they're all apostles. Now again, different apostles can have different authority, different different levels of authority, just like how different authors of the Bible have different levels of authority based upon their relationship with God, based upon the, the calling that's on their life. So apostolic authority. So this is, I mean, the truth of the matter is this, there should not be an idol called the Holy Bible. It should be kept separately like it was back in the days of Jesus, and Jesus had no problem with it. It should have been kept separate back in the days of Paul, and nobody had a problem with it. It was only, again, it was Marcy and the son of Satan that came around, and he started putting it all together, together and making a compilation and, and idolizing it and venerating it, and, and so on and so forth through thousands of years. Now we got what we got today. Thousands of years of cursed idolatry and veneration of a book, bibliolatry. Um, so apostolic authority um, should be treated like any other person apart from apart from Moses. All right, so Moses in Acts in Exodus chapter nineteen, you know, again, uh, Moses got the the word of God. He got the Torah publicly for all to see, for all to hear. In fact, everybody was like, you know, we can't take it anymore. Okay. Nobody questioned when Moses came down off the mountain, he didn't have to prove any, he didn't have to prove anything to anybody. Everybody knew because they all witnessed it. They were, <laughs> there were no atheists there. Okay. There were, there were no, there were no people questioning Moses authority there. They all knew it was yeah, I mean, they saw. It was, <laughs> what can you say? I mean, every prophet after that had to be, had to go through a process of, of proof, of examination. It took time. They had to look at their writings. They had to look at their teachings. They had to look at their concepts through every lens, lens possible, through in every different angle possible. And what did they test it against? They tested it against what was known to be true and trusted. That was the Torah because everybody saw it. Everybody knew it. It was, uh, it was, it was not questioned whatsoever. So when, when someone like Ezekiel comes around and basically stumbles out of his closet and says, you know, God told me to do that. God, God showed me this. God showed me that. He, he had to be tested. 
took time. He had to be tested according to Deuteronomy chapter 13, verses 1 through 5. He had to be tested according to Deuteronomy chapter 18. It took time. It took effort. He had to be put through the fire, so to speak. So we say, okay, here's a guy. He's just come, you know, he claims that he's a prophet. He claims he heard from God. He claims he's got the word of God. Let's see if it's true or not. How did they test? They didn't test the person by using the person's own words. Was Isaiah a prophet? Well, he says he's a prophet. <laughs> that means nothing. Everybody says they're right and true. Even Jesus said, if I honor myself, <laughs> my, my honor means nothing. If I glorify myself, my glory means nothing. If, if I am just my own witness, it means nothing. Same goes for Paul. If there's no other witness, credible, credible witness for Paul, it means nothing. Well, how do you know Paul's an apostle? Well, he said he's an apostle. Who else said he's an apostle? Someone can bring up some other things, right? Well, Paul said he had Paul said he had a revelation and he heard thus and thus from God. Well, how do you know that's true? Well, because Paul said it's true. It's like, well, how do you know David Koresh was the was Jesus? How do you know David Koresh from Wack, Waco, Waco, uh, Texas? How do you know David Koresh was the Messiah back in 1990? Was it 1992 or whatever it was? 1993? How do you know? Well, because he said he was. Well, it doesn't matter what he says. He cannot, he cannot validate himself. Prophets cannot validate themselves. Apostles cannot va validate themselves. They have to be validated by what is known, tried, and true scripture of the time. By the known, tried, and true word of God. It's like... Joseph Smith comes around and says, well, I, you know, I, you know, an angel came and told me this or an angel came and told me that. Most evangelicals, if you just say, well, hey, do you, do you accept, you know, the, uh, the Mormon Bible? I mean, the Mormon Bible just takes Joseph Smith's writings and just glues them on the back of, uh, of the normal Christian Bible, right? Right. The Mormon Bible would just take, you know, the, uh, the Book of Mormon, the, 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 the Pearl of Great Price and the Doctrines and Covenants from Joseph Smith and just glue it, just... Pad out the Bible. Just put more. Let's add more to the Bible. Most evangelical Christians would say, if you ask them, you, you know, do you accept Joseph Smith as a legit prophet? Most of them would say no. You'd ask them why. Most of them would say, well, because what he says contradicts the previously known tried and true scriptures. Good. Fine. All fine and dandy. Well, same thing with Paul. If Paul comes around and says anything that contradicts the Tanakh in any which way, shape, or form, sorry, Paul, you were wrong. There are some things he writes that I, I quote all the time because I think they're really good. Paul is good for... You know, there's, there are some things I quote uh, often. You guys all know that. I quote Paul often. There are some things, especially the dumpster fire of theology, the book of Galatians, except for, again, Paul seems to contradict himself a lot, right? I mean, 
<laughs> it's not the hearers of the law, it's the doers of the law that will be justified. Then he goes in the last, the next few chapters basically saying the opposite. If I, you know, I can't go through all of the contradictions of uh, the self-contradictions of, or at least the seemingly self-contradictions of Paul. I can't go through all that right now. It would take hours, but it would take hours. Um, but the bottom line is this. If Paul said anything that contradicted the Tanakh, he's wrong. If he says anything that is in line with the Tanakh, God bless you, Paul. If he says anything, if Paul said anything, he does not have the authority to override God. He does not have the authority to override Jesus. He does not have the authority to bring a new revelation because there is no such thing as new revelation. There's no such thing. That's what all these these false prophets, they all claim to have new revelations, right? There's nothing new under the sun. The eternal word of God was known. Maybe not written, but known right from the very beginning. Because it's the eternal word of God. Abel knew it. That's why he knew all of this. I mean, look at how he, look, he knew exactly how to worship God. We don't have, the first 10 chapters of Genesis is very, very uninformative. <laughs> it's, it's very, very uh, sparse in its, in its information and details, okay? The first 10 chapters of Genesis. There's a lot that happened in there that, um, that we don't, um, that we're not told. Obviously, Abel, Job, Abraham. It says Abraham knew the law. Says that clearly. Says that clearly. Abraham knew the law, knew the Torah. It says that in your Bible. How? Perhaps it was passed down from Adam or Enoch to Abraham, to, to, you know, the patriarchs passed down a writing of the Torah. I don't know. Perhaps it was just known through by the Spirit. I don't know. But we know that it was known. We know that all these ancient patriarchs knew it. I mean, Noah, obviously, he knew the difference between clean and unclean animals. It was separated in the ark. I mean, and all these different, all these different laws were all obviously known. When Moses came around, and he just made it more of like a like a national thing, he just made it more like a like a political thing, basically, to make it, uh, for lack of a better way of putting it. But the the law of God was known. So, what are my thoughts on apostolic authority? There are millions, perhaps potentially millions of different apostles, all with different levels of authority, and the more they are in tune with the Tanakh, the, the Torah, the, the, the scriptures, the more authority they have. There are some apostles, there are some of the apostolic fathers that are horrible. Some are not so bad. Some are pretty good, actually. Thank you for your question, William. Very good question. 
I see here a question for move and we got so much going on here in the live chat and we can't keep, I am sorry. I, I'm just scrolling by me. I can't even scroll all the way back, but question for move. I heard from someone that, that responded to you, Christopher and said, Polycarp quoted Paul. See, this is the thing people get, they completely misunderstand my point. They read into what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that Marcion was being as bad as he was, he he made a New Testament. I'm not talking about the authority of Paul. I'm not talking about whether Paul is good or bad. I'm talking about the construction of the New Testament canon. Again, if people actually, if if the Bible existed as it originally supposed to, as it, as it originally existed, as it originally was, each and every book was separate. You got the 24 books of the Tanakh and then, you know, the, the four, you had in the, in the so-called New Testament, get rid of the canon, just four, four books of uh, the biography of Jesus. And, you know, the letters of Paul should be made just like letters. I mean, they should be like, I, I, I think that Christian bookstores should sell it like, you know, like letters that are folded up in envelopes. Cause that's what they really are. They're letters, personal letters from Paul to somebody else. I believe if you go back in time and you tell Paul that his letters were actually stolen, plagiarized, or not plagiarized, but stolen and um, or passed around th throughout the whole entire world and copied uh, throughout the whole entire world, he'd probably be, he would probably be absolutely shocked. And to know that his letters, if he's any kind of a Jew, like he claims to be, Paul, to know that his letters are between the same covers as the Torah, he would be absolutely horrified. Absolutely horrified. See, in the Jewish mind, you don't put the Torah with anything like that, okay? I mean, you keep the Torah, especially the Torah scroll, in a completely different room, in a, in, in a special, special little place of safety, uh, not in, you know, in, in, a, in a very respectful place place and and it's to be it's to be honored uh, as as the greatest authority so okay i just saw a question for me uh, from william and it just flew by me here and i can't sorry william i missed it because there's so many questions here i cannot i just cannot keep up um william your question that you at, you asked earlier could you please resubmit that with at christopher on it so that i could see it yeah please excuse me guys i mean forgive me because my uh live streaming software here it only contains like so much space and it just you know i just lose the earlier comments i can't bring them back um matthew cat cool says i just saw a video that dared to call yahweh a desert pagan god how far we have how far have we fallen in this delusion? Yeah, I, I, I know. I, I have um, heard that um, many times, and they have. I mean, the name of God. Uh, when we had Onia on. Now, I can't remember exactly which video it was, but he actually spoke about that. And there are 
Now, don't get me wrong. You know, I'm not, I know people take that and they just run away with it in a very bad way, but there are very amazing, um, uh, what's the word? Similarities between the name of God and the name of these pagan gods. Uh, Onia touched on that in one of our previous videos. So, um, if you haven't seen that, I would I would encourage you to watch that. William says, "Are you saying Jesus only quoted the Torah and not the prophets?" No, I didn't. Of course, I wouldn't say that. Uh, he talked about David eating the showbread and being innocent. Yeah, no, no, that's not what I'm. That's not what I said. No, not at all. Going nowhere. Um, Exodus twelve thirteen. Excuse me. 1312, um, King James Version. What did the word matrix mean? Okay, so let's go over here. Exodus 13, verse 12. Yeah, so this is the new King James Version. Let's go to the King James. Oh, yeah, so... And you shall set apart unto the Lord all that openeth the, openeth the matrix. So, you know, you look at in the actual, like, different Bible translations, all that open the womb. Womb is what it means. Yeah. It's an old, old English word that means womb. Thank you for asking. Going nowhere. Uh, question again from going nowhere. Uh, who was the man mentioned in Mark 14, 51 and 52? <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> so the man that, that going nowhere is talking about is uh, there was a certain young man, a certain young man having linen, linen cloth cast about his naked body and, and the young men laid hold on him. And he left the linen cloth and fled from them naked. Um, I I cannot quote. I cannot answer that question. It's it's not it's not clear of who that was um, going nowhere. Tori, again, you see many of these kind of quotes. Um, I have actually already explained all these things when I did my. I went through every single word of the New Testament, uh, and I have it all posted on YouTube. If you go back in the in the archive, so to speak, you'll see exactly what I said about all this stuff. Because I went through every single word. Um, so in Hebrews eight thirteen, in that he saith a new covenant. He made the first one old. Now that which decays and waxes old is is ready to vanish away. So this word covenant is not even in the in the original manuscripts anyway. So that word covenant is has been added in there by by men later. Um, so yeah, I mean, without go, without go, going into the whole explanation of what the new covenant is, and again, you see up here, the word covenant is in in uh, uh, italics. Excuse me. And because it's in italics, that means it is not in the original manuscripts. So it says, like, for if that first, if that first had been faultless, then we should find uh, we should 
then should no place have been sought for the second. For finding fault with them, okay? Um, so you see, some people argue that that this first versus second is not a thing as in a covenant, but rather a people. Keep in mind, the word covenant is not in the original. So again, I'm not... Uh, not sure if I should go through. Uh, Tori, I would recommend you go back into um, my videos on YouTube and listen to Hebrews chapter 8. I went through the entire chapter. I, I, I quoted uh, and spoke to every everything here. So uh, that would help um, with getting into all those details without dragging everyone else through it here. Now, it, it's, it, it's, a, it's more of a lengthy thing, yes. So please, I would I would recommend you go back and take a look at my my old video on that. Thank you for asking, Tori. Okay, um, the Tower Time. I'm trying to. I'm sorry, brother. I'm trying to find out what 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 context this is in uh, for the previous message. LOL. Okay, I'm I'm not sure what context that that. Uh, that's in. Uh, Tammy says, I had the same experience when I was born again. I never, I was never the same again. I knew I was changed. I knew the spirit entered me. Everyone thought I lost my mind. You got it. You know, you know it, you know it, you know it. Uh, I, I really, I really cringe when I see pastors or anybody you know, calling people forward to, you know, to say the sinner's prayer, to, to ask, ask Jesus in their heart, you know, uh, to accept him as Lord and Savior. And then afterwards, immediately, they're like, okay, congratulations, you're all born again. You're born again. Welcome to the family of God. It's like, no, you shouldn't do that. You really shouldn't. If they're really born again, they will tell you. They'll be telling you. You don't have to tell them. Like I said, you know what, Tammy, you got like when you got an experience like that, it's it's uh, there's no doubt, no doubt whatsoever. Sergeant, good to see you, brother. <laughs> Tammy said, and I did lose my old mind and received a new mind. Never the same. It was so powerful. Yeah. Totally understand. Totally. Totally understand that for sure. Question for move says, I played back the video. Thank you for, for answering my question. As a rephrase, I'm not sure if it's accurate since it says Ruach Elohim, which can mean Spirit of God. Instead, it portrays to be a wind from God. Although technically, yes, it is right. I'm just not sure if it portrays the Holy Spirit properly for the last part. Please take my words with a grain of salt. I'm not sure. Okay. Yeah, I hear you now. Um, so I have no problem with it. Um, I have no problem with that translation. Because I understand that Ruach or, you know, uh, uh, like pneuma in the Greek, right? We're talking about the spirit means both wind and spirit. So to me, it's like synonymous. It's like, you know, saying automobile instead of car, 
it's like, and to me, it's synonymous. I don't have, I don't really have a problem with it. Um, and by the way, I know of people speaking about this and, you know, including myself, actually, I have experienced this myself. Maybe some of you have as well, but I have experienced where the spirit of God moved over me to the, to the point where it was a wind. You can literally feel it, a wind. And it wasn't from, it wasn't a wind from, it wasn't like outside. It was not anything that can be naturally produced. It's an amazing experience. William says, what about God's guidance and sovereignty in, in, in this preserving his word? Why would he allow so much deception for 2,000 years until now? Um, okay. <clears throat> couple things, William. couple things. God always works through fallible man. Always has, always will. That's his prerogative. If he wanted to, he can make, when you talk about being born again, if you're born again, if he wanted to, he can make you perfect and make you a perfect vessel through which he works. But that's not the way he works. And that's exactly the way it is with all of the, the prophets and the scribes, by the way. When you, talk about prof, when you talk about the word of God, first of all, you need to understand that there's the word that was written by the prophet. And then there were thousands of years of that being copied by scribes. And many times the scribes were not honest. And I actually the word, before I show you this, I want to say this. God wants us to study. Here I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to quote Paul again. God wants us to study to show ourselves approved. He wants us to be knowledgeable. He wants us to dig into the evidence, not to just believe the surface and just to wish upon a falling star, but to really get into the hard evidence. There's a lot of hard evidence of a lot of shady things going on with, with Manuscripts. I'm not talking about translations. I'm not talking about Bible publishers. That's another whole story. I'm talking about manuscripts alone. Okay. There are various manuscripts with varying, with variations between the manuscripts. For example, just to give you an example. The New Testament alone, the New Testament alone, I'm not talking about the old, the Tanakh, the Old Testament. I hate to say Old Testament. I'm not talking about the Tanakh. I'm talking about just the New Testament alone. They say that there, there are more manuscript variations. In other words, there are more discrepancies between manuscripts than there are words of the New Testament. They estimate three, four hundred thousand variants of manu between the manuscripts. What does that mean? That means there are three to four hundred thousand errors. That's a fact. That's not just, hey, I'm not just saying one or two errors here and there. Uh-uh, uh-uh, don't get me wrong, okay? It's a known fact in the scholarly world. There are hundreds of thousands of errors. 
I'm, this is not hypothetical. This is not some conspiracy theory. This is fact. You can actually look it up yourself and look into it. Go into the Codex Sinaiticus, the oldest Bible known to man. It's, it's actually, you can get uh, go on the website and you can actually look at the original manuscripts and compare that to what you have today. John chapter 7, verse 53, all the way through to John chapter 8, verse 11 is not there. The whole ending of Mark chapter 16 is not there. And that's just the beginning. There are so much more differences. I mean, like I said, four, three to 400,000, okay? But God delights in hiding his truth. It's like it says in the scriptures, God, the glory of God is to conceal a matter. The glory of kings is to search it out. He, he wants you to be like a king and to search it out. The truth is not always easy to find. But the truth can be found if you look for it diligently. Seek and you shall find. It is a wonderful, wonderful thing to seek and find. Hide and go seek. Okay? It's a wonderful, wonderful thing. And God enjoys it. It's like forensic science. It's like investigative theology. Okay? It's amazing. It's wonderful. It'll build your faith like nothing else before. It's, it's a whole lot better than just throwing, putting your faith on man's interpretation of a faulty manuscript that you don't even know, have a clue about. Okay? When you learn all these details, I'm telling you, it is going to build your faith like nothing ever before. So we have the written word of God, and you can say the written word of God, where the a prophet would sit down and actually, you know, take his quill and he would pull up a parchment or, you know, a, it'd be on, if it's not a quill, it'd be a chisel on stone, but it'd be a quill on parchment and make a scroll and he'd be writing, 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 writing. And then, that's if he didn't make any mistakes, which he could. I mean, it, it, a human is a human, right? He can make mistakes. Then we have to then we have to give it to a scribe to copy it. And then that scribe has to give it to another scribe to copy it. And we've got hundreds, maybe even thousands of different scribes all the way through the ages for thousands and thousands of years that have copied, copied, copied. And as they copied, they make, they made mistakes. And it's clear that they made mistakes. Some of these, some of these manuscripts are very clear. You, you know, they made mistakes and you know how they made mistakes because let's say, for example, they skipped a line. You say, oh, I see exactly what they did here. They skipped the line. But what happened is when they give it to the next scribe, that scribe copied the mistake that the former scribe made and then made the mistakes of his own. I'm just telling you the fact. It's the truth, what I'm telling you. And then he would set, he would he would take that copy and give it to another scribe. And so that scribe would copy the mistakes that the former scribe that copied from the former scribe and the mistakes that the other stri the scribe made. And there were, this is how we get thousands of different variations and discrepancies. It's a fact. 
This is not some theory. It's not some far-flung theory. You can actually pull up the manuscripts yourself and look at them. It's a fact. That's not to mention the shady scribes. William, I assume you're a Christian. And if you're a Christian, you would believe Jesus. Jesus had nothing good to say about the scribes. Hello? This, these scribes are the Bible publishers. They are the ones who actually copied the, the, the word of God all the way down to where we are today. These are the scribes that Jesus had nothing good to say about. He, he didn't trust them with anything. I mean, look at how he denounced and renounced the, the, the works of the scribes. Let me show you something, William. I'm going to tell you two things, two things, okay? I want you to remember these, two things. Okay. Number one. Your question, what about God's guidance and sovereignty in, in, in this preserving his word? Where did he say that he would do that? Where in the Bible? Where is it written that he said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to preserve my perfect word all the way down? Where does it say that? Number two, it says actually, at least in this context, it says the opposite. Let me show you. Jeremiah chapter 8 Verse 8, how can you say we are wise for we have the law of the Lord when actually the lying pen of the scribes has handled it falsely? What does that mean? Actually, hold on a second. Sorry about that. It says, how can you say we are wise for, for we have the law of the Lord, when actually the lying pen of the scribes has handled it falsely. What does that mean? That means that the Bible publishers have changed things. The lying, pens, the lying pen of the scribes. In other words, the scribes, well, when they were copying the scriptures... Uh, they weren't that, all that honest all the time. That's what the Word of God says. That's what your Bible says. The vanity of scribes. How vain they are. You look it up in the, in the original Hebrew, talking about the lying pen of the scribes, as I just read. So you say, oh, well, how do we know? Well, I guess just throw, the, throw everything out. No, of course not. Because many times you can actually tra trace down where these lies crept into the scriptures. Sometimes the Mesoretic family of manuscripts is, is more accurate. Sometimes the Septuagint is more accurate. Sometimes the Samaritan text is more accurate. Sometimes the Dead Sea Scrolls are more accurate. If you do your studies, you'll know the difference. So the Tower of Time, 
references a handful of scriptures here. Isaiah 40, 13, 1 Corinthians 2, 16, Psalms 14, 1 through 3, uh, Romans 3, 10 to 18, and Isaiah 1, 9, for Romans 9, 29. Isaiah 40, 13. So Isaiah 40, 13, who has directed the spirit of the Lord or, or being his counselor has taught him compared to 1 Corinthians 2, 16, for who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ. Okay. Uh, now the next one is Psalm 14, verses 1 to 3, verses Romans 3 verse 10 to 18 as as it is written oh yeah there's none righteous no not one so yeah actually you know it's there's none good no not one it's it actually is different to say there's none good there's tov uh well let me see here in the uh original yeah tov yeah. See, it's different to say is none tov as opposed to there's none there's none righteous, meaning Sadiq. Sadiq. So that's that's a different meaning. Uh yeah. So I mean, there are a lot, there are a lot of uh quotes like this you'll find. Especially one of the most one of the most um yeah, let me just let me just go through the other ones here and I'll show you, I'll show you one that's really, really out of con like I don't know, really misquoted. But Isaiah 1, 9, except the Lord of hosts had left unto us a very small remnant. We should have been as Sodom and we should have been like Gomorrah versus Romans 9, 29. Uh, except the Lord of Sabaoth has left us a seed. We had been as Sodom and been like Gomorrah, yeah, yeah. It's 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 so different. Like it, it, when you when you start like comparing these things. Here's another one. I'll show you. I'll show you guys another one. Uh, Isaiah fifty nine, verse twenty and twenty one was supposed to be quoted by Paul. Um, actually, this is better if I put it side by side. Uh, just give me a second here. I'll just put this side by side. If I can pull this up side by side, um, where are we here? Okay, one there, one. If I pull this up side by side, you'll see. This is actually something you got. You want something? You're ready to take some notes here because this is this is this is actually an amazing misquote. As you see, that Paul often misquotes things, but uh, some. Isaiah 59, verse 20. Okay, just a second. Just need to set this up. Isaiah 59, verse 20. Compare that with Romans 11, 26 and 27. Okay, so <laughs> you guys... Romans um, 11, 
check this out guys check this out okay so um romans 11 26 and 27 supposed to be quoting isaiah 59 20 and 21. So romans 11 26 okay and 27. okay so so the the real the real scripture says and the redeemer shall come to zion and unto them that turn from transgression and jacob saith the lord as for me this is my covenant with them saith the lord my spirit that is upon thee and my words which i have put in your mouth shall not depart out of your mouth or out of the mouth of your seed nor out of the mouth of your seed seed says the lord from henceforth and forever okay so paul quoted that Believe it or not. Romans chapter 11, verse 26. So all Israel shall be saved as, as it is written. Okay, so he's, he's quoting, there shall come out of Zion a deliverer and shall, shall turn away godliness, ungodliness, excuse me, from Jacob. For this is my covenant unto them, which I shall take, when I shall take away their sins. You see how everything's flipped upside down here. Okay, um, now, to be fair, here's another, this is another um, very good uh, case of the Septuagint is, Paul is more in line with the Septuagint than he is with the Masoretic here. It's another very good case of this. So the Septuagint reads, uh, where are we now? I'd put Isaiah 11. Okay, Isaiah 59, verse 20. Okay, so the Septuagint reads, And the Deliverer shall come for Zion's sake, and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. And this shall be my covenant with them, saith, say, uh, said the Lord, my spirit which is upon thee, and my words which I have put in your mouth shall never shall never fail from your mouth, nor from the mouth of your seed, nor, or excuse me, for the Lord has spoken it henceforth and forever. So, um, okay, so Paul is ob obviously quoting the Septuagint here. He's not quoting the Masoretic text. And you see how different it is from the Masoretic. The Redeemer, as opposed to the Deliverer, I guess someone could argue that means the same thing, but there shall come to Zion versus there shall come out of Zion and deliver unto them that turn from transgression in Jacob. Okay, so that so basically the Redeemer, the Redeemer is coming to those who repent. As opposed to Paul saying the, the, the deliverer is coming to 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 basically make people re like to to uh, to turn away ungodliness from Jacob in other words it's the redeemer that's doing it's the deliverer that's doing the repent it's the deliverer that's that's actually turning the that's doing the work here and on the left hand side the masoretic text it's the people that's actually doing the repenting people repents then the redeemer comes and then uh Paul says it's uh the deliverer that comes first, and then the deliverer actually makes or basically creates repentance. It's the redeemer, it's the deliverer that actually 
does the removing of the sin versus it's the people who removed the sin and it's the Redeemer that came to those people. Uh, and then Paul says, for this is my covenant unto them when I shall take away their sins. Again, he makes it sound like, you know, again, well, Jesus is, is something to take away or says, you don't have to do anything, right? Uh, just as I am without one plea, <laughs> that my, thy blood is shed for thee, I, for me. I mean, like, so um, it's like Jesus does it all. But in the original text, in the Masoretic, it's the people who did the repenting. And this is actually more, um, more consistent with all of the rest of the Bible. Excluding, of course, Paul's letters. But this is, more, this is more consistent. But you see how Paul quoted from the Septuagint. And even when he quoted from the Septuagint, he twisted it, added to it. Okay? Because it doesn't say, the Septuagint, is a little bit more in line with Paul here. We got the deliverer shall come for Zion's sake. And again, the deliverer is coming to Zion uh, as opposed to the deliverer is coming out of Zion. But the delivery, the, the deliverer shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. Um, and that is what Paul quoted, obviously. But then the whole verse 21 here, uh, Paul has completely just massacred it. He has just totally butchered it up. For this is my covenant unto them when I shall take away their sins. Where did it, where? Where did Paul, where did God ever say that? That's, that's all Paul quotes. That is how Paul quotes the scripture. He partly quotes, for the most part, from the Septuagint, but he, but he adds and he changes it. If this is why I say, I'm telling you, tell me, this is the truth. This is why I say, if I quoted scripture like Paul did, people would crucify me. If I, if I quoted scripture like Paul did, people would, man, they'd, they'd string me up. You know, that's true, right? If I quoted, if I quoted scripture like that, man, oh man, would I ever have people attacking me? You know, it's not like I don't have people attacking me already, but I, I'd have people attacking me like crazy. Even more so. I'd have people say to me, well, he's a false teacher. He changes the word of God. He, you know, he, he, uh, he makes up his own stuff. You know, he, but you see what, you know, like, it's so much of this stuff going on. So, so much of this. Thanks, Tower Time. Awesome. Says those uh, were from a Google search of Paul quoting Old Testament is all. Uh, was just wanting to sh share those. Thank you very much, Tower Time. Yeah, Matthew, um, I saw a video with the title, Yahweh is a desert pagan guy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you see, they get, they take, they take, they take some, they take some information and they just, again, they can, you know, distort it and run with it. Yeah, you see, I'm going to jump into our scripture reading for tonight. Okay, so but I would encourage you guys, like cons considering the you know, some of the some of the questions that we got tonight, um, I would highly recommend if you're coming out of a nominal mainstream denominational background, I would highly recommend you test all things. 
Here I am quoting Paul again. Test all things. You'd be amazed at how much you have actually bought into that's not true. I was amazed and how much I bought into that wasn't true until I had to, it's almost like the, uh, some of these people like deconstruction, right? Although for me, it was more like deconstruction of the, of the uh, frivolous, shallow faith in coming into a much more deeper understanding of the, of, of the scriptures and a much more secure, solid foundation of faith for me. But I had to deconstruct from the what I typically call the modern corrupt Christian narrative. You'd be surprised how much people have bought into. Think about it. Like write down what you think, what you think about the Bible, like what you understand about the Bible, what you understand about the gospel. Write, write it down point by point by point by point and test it all. And I guarantee, especially those of you who are coming out of the Christian world, the corrupt Christian doctrine, I, I guarantee you the vast majority of the things that you have believed are simply not true. I, I shocked myself for the first, uh, how many years now has it been? It's been years. It took me a few years of actually learning this false falsehood but then it took me probably longer to unlearn it because it's hard right i mean you, it's it's kind of it's hard to uh, to admit that you've that you believe something that wasn't that was not true but it takes humility it takes humility and so i just encourage every one of you to just go on that you know, just reassess and trust God, trust God that you're not going to, you know, cause a lot of people are afraid to reassess. It's like, Oh no, I'm, I wouldn't, I wouldn't dare question that, you know, question what? Like, for example, what's that? Uh, like progressive revelations. Another one. Nowhere. Actually the, the scriptures gives us lots of evidence against that completely against that. But once you've bought into it, it can take a long time to actually realize because you have to, if you don't come to the table, so to speak, with an open mind saying, you know what, if it's wrong, I will admit, I, I will admit it. If it's wrong, I'll, you know, I, I'm here to see if it is not to lean to the yes, not to, not to lean to the no, but to, to be as neutral and as unbiased as possible, put us, putting aside all pride putting aside all preconceived ideas and just to look at the scripture for what it really says and look at the context of the entirety of, of the history, the history of, of, uh, of the scriptures, uh, everything from Adam until today. You'd be, you'd be surprised what, how many people have bought into things that are not true. And it's easy to do that because, you know, you hear it in church, you know, church is supposed to be all about truth and goodness and righteousness and everything is right there, right? I think uh, more, more often than not, it's more like, a, you know, the devil's playground in a way. All right, let's, um, let's see what we have here for the scriptures tonight. I am going to start off with reading Psalm 76. 
and then we'll get into uh, Isaiah. Psalm 76. For the music director on stringed instruments, a psalm of Asaph, a song. God is known in Judah. His name is great in Israel. His tabernacle is in Salem. His dwelling place is also in Zion. There he broke the flaming arrows, the shield, the sword, and the weapons of war. Selah. You are resplendent, more majestic than the mountains of prey. The stout-hearted were plundered. They sank into sleep, and none of the warriors could use his hands. At your rebuke, God of Jacob, both rider and horse were cast into a dead sleep. You, you indeed are to be feared, and you may stand, excuse me, and who may stand in your presence once you are angry? You cause judgment to be heard from heaven. The earth feared and was still when God arose to judgment to save all the humble of the earth. Notice it says he, he comes to save the humble, not the proud. Selah. For the wrath of mankind shall please you. Shall praise you, excuse me. For the wrath of my, mankind shall praise you. In the original is the wraths, or the footnote, excuse me. The footnote is wraths of mankind shall praise you. You will encircle yourself with a remnant of wrath. Make vows to the Lord your God and fulfill them. All, uh, excuse me, all who are around him are to bring gifts to him who is to be feared. He will cut off the spirit of princes. He is feared by the kings of the earth. Isaiah 35, Zion's happy future. The wilderness and the desert will rejoice, and the desert will shout for joy and blossom. Like the crocus, it will blossom profusely and rejoice with joy and jubilation. The glory of Lebanon will be given to it, the majesty of Carmel and Sharon. They will, they will see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God. Strengthen the exhausted and make the feeble strong. Say to those with anxious heart, take courage, fear not. Your God will come with vengeance. The retribution of God will come, but he will save you. But he will save you. Then the eyes of those who are blind will be opened, and the ears of those who are deaf will be unstopped. Then those who limp will leap like a deer, and the tongue of those who cannot speak will shout for joy. For waters will burst forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The scorched land will become a pool, and the thirsty ground springs of water. In the haunt of jackals, its resting place, grass becomes reeds and rushes. A highway will be there, a roadway, and it will be called the highway of holiness. The unclean will not travel on it, but it will be for the one who walks that way, and fools will not wander on it. No lion will be there, nor will any vicious animal go up on it. They will not be found there but the redeemed will walk there and the redeemed of the Lord will return and come to Zion with joyful shouting and everlasting joy will be on their heads. 
They will obtain gladness and joy, and sorrow and sighing will flee away. Isaiah chapter 36. Now in the fourteenth year of King Hezekiah, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, marched against all the fortified cities of Judah and seized them. And the king of Assyria sent Rabshakeh from Lachish to Jerusalem to King Hezekiah with a large army. And he stood by the conduit of the upper pool on the road to the fuller's field. Then Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah, who was over the household, and Shebna, the scribe, and Yoah, the son of Asaph, the secretary, went out to him. And Rabshakeh said to, said to them, Say now to Hezekiah, This is what the great king, the king of Assyria, says. What is this confidence that you have? I say, your plan and strength for the war are only empty words. Now on whom have you relied that you have revolted against me? Behold, you have relied on the staff of this broken reed, on Egypt, on which a man leans, on which if a man leads, leans, it will go into his hand and pierce it. So is Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to all who rely on him. But if you say to me, we trust in the Lord our God, is it not he who, whose high places and whose altars Hezekiah has taken away and has said to Judah and Jerusalem, you shall not worship before this altar? Excuse me, you shall worship before this altar. Now then, come make a wager with my master, the king of Assyria. I will give you 2,000 horses if you are able on your part to put riders on them. How then can you drive back even one official of the least of my master's servants and rely on Egypt for chariots and horsemen? And have and have I now come up without the Lord's approval against this land to destroy it? The Lord said to me, go up against this land and destroy it. Then Eliakim, Shebna, and Yoah said to Rabshakeh, please speak to your servants in Aramaic, for we understand it, and do not speak to us in Judean, Judean in the footnotes, i.e. Hebrew, so that the people who are on the wall, hear you. But Rabshakeh said, Has my master sent only sent me only to your master and to you to speak these words and not to the men who sit on the wall, doomed to eat their own dung and drink their own urine with you? But Rabshakeh stood and called out with a loud voice in Judean and said, Hear the words of the great king, the king of Assyria. This is what the king says. Do not let Hezekiah deceive you, for he will not be able to save you. And do not let Hezekiah lead you to rely on the Lord, saying the Lord will certainly save us. This city will not be handed over to the king of Assyria. Do not listen to Hezekiah, for this is what the king of Assyria says. Surrender to me and come out to me and eat each one of his, of his vine and each of his fig tree and each drink of the waters of his own cistern until I come and take you away to a land like your own land, a land of grain and new wine, a land of bread and vineyards. 
Beware that Hezekiah does not mislead you, saying the Lord will save us. Has any one of the gods of the nations saved his land from the hand of the king of Assyria? Where are the gods of Hamath and Arpad? Where are the gods of Sepharvaim? And when have they saved Samaria from my hand? Who among all the gods of these lands have saved their land from my hand, that the Lord would save Jerusalem from my hand? But they were silent and did not answer him so much as a word, for the king's command was, do not answer him. Then Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah, who was over the household, and Shebna, the scribe, and Joah, the, the son of Asaph, the secretary, came to Hezekiah with their clothes torn and reported to him the words of Repshekah. Isaiah chapter 37. Now when King Hezekiah heard the report, he tore his clothes, covered himself with sackcloth, and entered the house of the Lord. Then he sent Eliakim, who was in charge of the household, with Shebna, the scribe, and the elders of the priests, covered with sackcloth, to Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos. And they said to him, This is what Hezekiah says. This day is a day of distress, rebuke, and humiliation, for children have come to the point of birth, and there is no strength to deliver them. Perhaps the Lord your God will hear the words of Rebshakeh, whom his master, the king of Assyria, has sent to taunt the living God, and will avenge the words of the Lord your God, excuse me, which the Lord your God has heard. Therefore, Offer a prayer for the remnant that is left. So the servants of the king of Hezekiah came to Isaiah, and Isaiah said to them, This is what you, you shall say to your master. This is what the Lord says, quote, Do not be afraid because of the words that you have heard, with which the servants of the king of Assyria have blasphemed me. Behold, I am going to put a spirit in him so that he will hear news and return to his own land and I will make him fall by the sword in his own land. Then Rabshakeh returned and found the king of Assyria fighting against Libna, for he had heard that the king had left Lachish. Now he heard them say regarding Tirhaka, the king of Cush, Cush being Ethiopia, quote, has he come, has he, uh, he has come out to, to fight against you, unquote. And when he had heard, when he had heard it, he sent messengers to Hezekiah, saying, This is what you shall say to Hezekiah, king of Judah. Do not let your God, in whom you trust, deceive you by saying, Jerusalem will not be handed over to the king of Assyria. Behold, you yourself have heard what the kings of Assyria have done to all the lands, destroying them completely. So you will be so will you be saved? Did the gods of the nations which my fathers destroyed save them? Gozan, Haran, Rezaf, and the sons of Aden, who were in Telassar? Where, uh, where is the king of Hamath, the king of Arpad, the king of the, of the city of Sepharvaim, and of Hena, or Hina, and Eva? Then Hezekiah took the letter from the hand of the messengers and read it. And he went up to the house of the Lord and spread out before the Lord, spread it out before the Lord. Hezekiah prayed to the Lord saying, Lord of armies, God of Israel, who, 
who is enthroned above the cherubim. You are the God, you alone, of all the kingdoms of the earth. You made heaven and earth. Incline your ear, Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, Lord, and see. And listen to all the words of Sennacherib, who sent them to taunt the living God. Truly, Lord, the kings of Syria have laid waste all the countries and their lands and have thrown their gods into the fire, for they were not gods, but only the work of human hands, wood and stone. So they have destroyed them. But now, Lord, our God, save us from his hand, so that all the kings of the earth may know that you alone, Lord, are our God. Then Hezekiah, the son of Amos, sent word to Hezekiah, excuse me, then Isaiah, the son of Amos, sent word to Hezekiah, saying, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Because you have prayed to me about Sennacherib, king of Assyria, this is the word that the Lord has spoken against him. She has shown contempt for you and derided you, the virgin daughter of Zion. The daughter of Jerusalem has shaken her head behind you. Whom have you taunted and blasphemed? And against whom have you raised your voice and haughtily raised your eyes? Against the Holy One of Israel. Through your servants, you have taunted the Lord. And you have said, with my many chariots, I came up, I came up to the heights of the mountains, and to the remotest parts of Lebanon, and cut down all, or cut down its tall cedars and its choice junipers. And I will come highest peak, its thickest forest. I dug wells and drank waters, and with the sole of my feet I dried up all the canals of Egypt. Have you not heard? Long ago I did it. From the ancient from ancient times I planned it. Now I brought it now I brought now I have brought it about that you would turn fortified cities into ruined heaps. Therefore their inhabitants were powerless. They were they were shattered and put to shame. They were like the vegetation of the field and the green grass, like grass on the housetops that is scorched before it has grown. But I know you're sitting down, you're going out, you're coming in, and you're raging against me because of your raging against me and because your complacency has come up to my ears. I will put my hook in your nose and my bridle in your lips, and I will turn you back by the way that you came. Then this shall be a sign for you. You will eat this year what what grows of itself. In the second year, what grows from the same. And in the third year, sow, harvest, plant vineyards, and eat their fruit. Their survivors that are left of the house of Judah will again root downward and bear fruit upward. For out of Jerusalem a remnant will go, and out of Mount Zion survivors. The zeal of the Lord of armies will perform this. Therefore, this is what the Lord says about the king of Assyria. He will not come to this city, nor shoot an arrow there, and he will not come before it with a shield, nor heap up an assault ramp against it. By the way that he came, by the same he will return. And he will not come to this city, declares the Lord. For I will protect this city 
to save it for my, my own sake and for my servant David's sake. Then the angel of the Lord went out and struck 150,000 in the camp of the Assyrians. And when the rest got up in the morning, behold, all of the 150, excuse me, 185,000 were dead. Now, in the footnotes, the 185,000, literally them, were dead, lit, uh, literally dead bodies. So, Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, departed and returned home and lived in Nineveh. Then it came about, as he was worshipping in the house of Nisroch, his god, that his sons, Adramelech and Sherezer, killed him with the sword, and they escaped to the land of Ararat. And his son, Esarhaddon, became king in his place. Isaiah chapter 38. In those days, Hezekiah became mortally ill, literally sick to death. And Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos, came to him and said to him, This is what the Lord says. Set your house in order, for you are going to die and not live. Then Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord and said, Please, Lord, just remember how I have walked before you wholeheartedly and in truth and have done what is good in your sight. And Hezekiah wept profusely. Then the word of the Lord came to Isaiah again. Go and say to Hezekiah, this is what the Lord, the God of your father, David, says. I have heard your prayer. I have seen your tears. Behold, I will add 15 years to your life and I will save you for and this city from the hand of the king of Assyria and protect this city. Now, I got to stop here for a second because this is an amazing point. This is an amazing point. Because you see, this is the reason why we should be careful not to take things hyper-literally and to take things as if it's always, always set in stone. I mean, if Hezekiah, excuse me, if Hezekiah was like how a lot of Christians are today, he would take the word of the Lord and just leave it as that. He would take it and say, okay, so the Lord said I'll die and I'm not going to live. God told me, the word of God says, I'm going to die. This sickness is unto death. Right? But no, he didn't take it like that, right? He still prayed against, basically he prayed against the word of God saying, let me live, you know, and basically um, have mercy upon me. And God answered his prayer and uh, gave him 15 more years. It's amazing. It's almost like in the days of Jonah when God told Jonah, okay, I'm going to destroy the city. And Jonah goes out and is like, God's going to destroy this city. And they all repent. And God's like, oh, just like Hezekiah, God cannot resist repentance. Isn't that amazing? It's like even God will even change the word of God for repentance. And I know that's a very controversial statement, but that's what happened in the days of Jonah. That's what happened here. I mean, isn't that true? Hear that? I hit the guitar. Bong. 
Repentance is so powerful. I mean, God respects repentance so much, he changes his word for it. That's why Ezekiel chapter 18 is like so powerful. That's why Deuteronomy chapter 30 is so powerful. That's why he says repent. That's why the most important message is repent, meaning turn from your sin. Change your mind about the way you live, about the way you approach God, about the way you think, about sin and about righteousness, and turn from sin, turn to God. That's what I mean. That kind of thing moves God. It moves God. It's so powerful. Verse 7. And this shall be the sign to you from the Lord, that the Lord will perform this word that he has spoken. Behold, I will make the shadow on the stairway, which has gone down with the sun on the, on the stairway of Ahaz, go back 10 steps. So the sun's shadow went back 10 steps on the stairway on which it had gone down. This is a writing of Hezekiah, king of Judah, after his illness and recovery. I said, quote, in the middle of my life, I am going, I am to, I am to enter the gates of Sheol. I have been deprived of the rest of my years. I said, I will not see the Lord and the, uh, the Lord in the land of the living. I will no longer look on mankind among the inhabitants of the world. Like a shepherd's tent, my dwelling is pulled up and, re and re uh, removed from me. Notice the way Hezekiah talks here. He knows that his, his physical body is just a tent in which he lives. Okay. As a weaver, I rolled up my life. He cuts me off. He cuts me off from the loom. From day until night, you make an end of me. I compose my soul until morning, like a lion, so he breaks all my bones. From, from day until night, you make an end of me, like a swallow, like a crane, so I twitter. Very interesting. Twitter? So I twitter. Um, see, even uh, Hezekiah twittered, right? I moan like a dove. My eyes look wistfully to the heights. Lord, I am oppressed. Be my security. What shall I say? For he has spoken to me, and he himself has done it. I will walk quietly all my years because of the bitterness of my soul. Lord, by these things people live, and in all these is the life of of my spirit. Restore me to health and let me live. Behold, for my own welfare, I had great bitterness, but you have kept my soul from the pit of nothingness. For you have hurled all my sins behind your back, for Sheol cannot thank you. Death cannot praise you. Those who go down to the pit cannot hope for your faithfulness. It is the living who give thanks to you, as I do today. A father tells his sons about your faithfulness. The Lord is certain to save me, so we will play 
my songs on stringed instruments all the days of our life at the house of the Lord. Unquote. Now, now Isaiah had said, have them take a cake of figs and apply it to the boil so that he may recover. See, it's like, again, I, I say this, so it's, it's a practical, God is pretty practical. Right? He could do like a, you know, he could do this without any kind of practical application like this, but we have practical application. Then Hezekiah had said, what is the sign that I will go up to the house of the Lord? Isaiah chapter 39. At that time, Morodak Baladan, the son of Baladan, king of Babylon, sent letters and, an, and a gift to Hezekiah. For he heard that he had been sick and had recovered. Hezekiah was pleased and let them see all his treasure house, the silver, the gold, the balsam oil, the excellent olive oil, his entire armory and everything that was found in his treasuries. There was nothing in his house nor in all his realm that Hezekiah did not let, let them see. Then Isaiah the prophet came to King Hezekiah and said to him, What did these men say? And from where did they come to you? And Hezekiah said, They came to me from a far country, from Babylon. Then he said, What have you... What have they seen in your house? So Hezekiah answered, They have seen everything that is in my house. There is nothing among my treasures that I have not let them see. Isaiah then said to Hezekiah, Hear the word of the Lord of armies. Behold, the days are coming when everything that is in your house and what your fathers have stored up to this day will be carried to Babylon. Nothing will be left, says the Lord. And some of your sons who will come from you, who, uh, whom you will father, will be taken away and they will become eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. Then Hezekiah said to Isaiah, The word of the Lord which you have spoken is good. For he thought, for there will be peace and truth in my days. Okay. Lesson to be learned here. Okay. So Hezekiah showed off all of his, all, everything that he had. Okay. It was kind of like an act of pride. He, it was like showing off everything, all the stuff that he had. And apparently God didn't take it very well. Because God said, basically, more or less, everything that you just showed off will, will be taken from you. Will be taken from you. So you see how serious, then we talked about how serious um, God takes repentance. You see how serious God takes pride and arrogance, too. Takes it very seriously. Takes it very seriously. So that's, I can, that concludes our reading for tonight. The Tower Time says, this is the Tower Time on YouTube, says, I'll get to you guys on TikTok in just a moment. I wonder if they didn't change Paul's writings. Hard, hard to think he himself would have misquoted scripture that badly if he was really a Pharisee of Pharisees and well-educated. Very good. Yeah, it's a very good question. And you see, 
Yeah, what can I say? I mean, there. I mean, you have you know well you know well educated Jewish people who who doubt, like seriously doubt Paul's knowledge. Like, for example, being a Pharisee of Pharisees, you know, I, I have heard Pharisees, modern day Pharisees and Orthodox Jews that argued saying, well, um, Paul could not have been a Pharisee for two reasons, because Pharisees don't do what he did like today, right? Pharisees, why don't Pharisees, you know, hunt, hunt Christians like how Paul did? Um, what, what commandment in the Torah are they obeying that they should persecute Christians so badly? So that's one good question from the, from the, from the uh, Jewish side of things. Another thing is too, um, so Paul didn't claim this, but the author of the book of Acts claimed that Paul was, um, excuse me, uh, sat at the feet of, of Gamaliel. Um, the author of the book of Acts actually recorded that. Now, Paul didn't say any of that in his letters. He did not mention Gamaliel at all in his letters. So here's the thing. If Paul was a Pharisee, he would be under Gamaliel. I mean, and if he was that close to Gamaliel, according to the author of the book of Acts, that he actually was one of Gamaliel's students, why did he so flagrantly disobey Gamaliel? You know, so in, in uh, Acts chapter 5, Gamaliel commanded, I mean, Gamaliel brought down the commandment in the Pharisaical world, right? Being the leader, one of the leaders actually of, of, the, of the Pharisees back in those days. He said, as for the Christians, leave them alone. Leave the Christians alone. Don't touch them. If what they're doing is not of God, it will, it will fail. You don't have to worry about it. If it is of God, you'll be found as one fighting against God himself. So leave the Christians alone. So what does Paul do? Right? What does Paul do? It's like he does the exact opposite, like to the extreme. So that's why, you know, so people have questions. Now, I'm, you know, I'm not, I'm not saying for certain one way or another, but I mean, those are good points that needs to be considered in the matter. Um, but you, I mean, we see how Paul quoted scripture. Uh, you know, it's, <laughs> I got to laugh because it's, you know, you got so many people that just, you know, they, they, they treat Paul as if Paul is like the perfect man, you know, that everything he said was just right, right on. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Look it up. Do a little bit of testing, right? It's like, you know, it's, yeah. So, yeah, very good observation there, uh, Tower of Time. The real truth says, I have been out of the Sunday church for over 30 years and still finding things I think are that, excuse me, still finding and still finding things I think are that are not. Yeah, I mean, just going with the um, the idea that uh, I mean, it takes it takes it, it's so easy to believe something uh, and not so easy to unlearn it, so to speak. 
you know, so that's, um, yeah, very good point. I mean, after 30 years, I, 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 can, I can say pretty much almost, I don't know if I can say myself, I think most of the stuff that I've learned, you know, back in the early days and from the mainstream Christian movement, has, I, I mean, I've tested it all and found it all to be lacking, as it says in the book of Daniel. You have been weighed and you have been found lacking. Going nowhere says, do you think one can be zealous about God, Jesus, the, the scriptures, and not have the Holy Spirit? Yeah, I think so. I think actually there are a lot of them. I think there are a lot of people who are zealous about God and not have the Holy Spirit. I really do. Very good question. Like I'm thinking myself, like even, even back in the days before I had that experience that I referred to earlier, where I felt like I was filled with the Spirit, even back in the days before that, previous to that, like I, I was... I was I was into it. I mean, I could probably put up a good argument uh, in regards to some scripture. Um, yeah, so I think a lot of people do that as well today, too. All right. Caballero says, that was a very good response at the beginning of the live. Thank you. See you tomorrow. Thank you very much, Caballero. Blessings multiplied to you, brother. Good to see you. Blessings. Have a blessed night. Pious Crusader wants me to play a song. Actually, sorry, Pious Crusader, um, not tonight, but Lord willing, Lord willing, soon I'd like to I'd like to play a live song for you guys with perhaps with with Hannah, the keyboardist as well, and maybe even a few other uh, musicians as well. We'll see how it goes. That's just uh, in the back of my mind. Um, See what we can do. Going nowhere says uh, my grandmother and I were talking about this the other day. We were one. We were both wondering what the word kosher means. Looked it up, and now I know it's about food. Um, yes, it is about food, but it literally just means acceptable. Like it's acceptable, um, and usually it's used for food, but it can be used for anything else as well. Okay, guys, that's it. I'm going to wrap it up for tonight. Pious Crusader says, so a few hymns? I never really thought about a few hymns. I was, I was thinking about actually some original songs, Pious Crusader. Some original, some original mater material. Yeah, I totally agree with Tammy here. You know. I mean, you know when you have the Holy Spirit. That's true. <laughs> Absolutely. I, can, I will not, and I'll, I'll, I'll just end with this. I will not ever forget. I can see it like as if it was just five minutes ago. You know, after I got done reading this book, this book, and I was on my knees by my bed, and I never, ever expected what happened to me. It was not like nobody never expected it. It was a surprise. Again, I felt like something left me, and I felt the, the Spirit of God come in and fill me. And for the first time in my life, I felt full, full, full. And not only that, I could, I could literally feel like, like as if he was breathing in me. Like there's this life breathing in me and pouring out of me, pouring out of me too. And I thought, I still remember thinking, and I, I remember this very clearly, thinking to myself, 
at the time I stayed with my grandmother, I was walking down the stairs and I'm thinking, wow, I read about Jesus talking about the Holy Spirit pour, like coming out of your inmost being like rivers of living water from your belly. And I thought, now I know what he's talking about. It's like, now I really know. It's like, it's like all of a sudden it's, <laughs> I experience saying all of a sudden, say, it's like the difference between reading about, I know this may sound strange, but uh, it's like reading about, um, a king or a queen. It's like, you know, sitting down and reading about a, qu a queen or a king and all of a sudden knocking at the door. Hello? Opening the door. There the, there the king is or there the queen is. It's like, oh, all of a sudden it went from the book to real life. You know, that's the way it was with me. It was like all of a sudden, wow. Um, it was just amazing. Just absolutely amazing. Vinny says, thank you. Thank you, Christopher. God bless everyone. Shalom. God bless you more. Vinny, thank you very much again. It's a blessing. You're a blessing, brother. Tori says, way too late here. Good night, everyone. Blessings. Good night, Tori. Blessings multiplied back to you as well. Great Deception says, uh, thank you, brother. Much love and blessings to you all. Thank you as well, Alan. Good to see you. Blessings and love multiplied back to you. Alex says, thanks. You're welcome, Alex. All right. Real Truth says, Shalom all, Shalom, the Real Truth. And the Pious Crusader over there on TikTok says, God bless you, Christopher. Thank you very much, Pious Crusader. I'll see you guys, Lord willing, tomorrow. Good to see you. God bless you more, Pious Crusader. And I'll get that song. I'll get that song for you. Uh, I, I don't want to commit to anything right now, but hopefully very soon. I'll just say that. Hopefully very soon. Uh, as soon as possible. Cat Cool says, bye. Thank you for your ministry. Thank you very much, Matthew. And one John says, uh, thanks, Christopher. Blessings. You look good in white. <laughs> yeah, well, maybe the, one of these days I'll wear white instead of black. Uh, one John's talking about the video that I posted uh, earlier. Um, well, thank you, one John. Tower Time says, um, thanks for your faithfulness, not only uh, to us, but to our Heavenly Father preaching his word. Brother Christopher, stay blessed. Thank you very much. The Tower Time, I appreciate you. You are a big part of it. All a big part of it. You guys, you guys are awesome. You guys are awesome. Thank you. And Tori says, thank you very much. Thank you. Great deception. Thank you for reminding everyone hit the like button. Hit the like button. Very much. Going nowhere says you're a good man, Chris. Well, if I say how Yeshua says, there's only one good, right? There's only one good. So, but thank you. I appreciate that. Okay. Um, so I'll see you tomorrow evening, Lord willing. Uh, see you tomorrow evening, same time, same place. And, um, yep, for those of you who don't know, it's 7 p.m. Eastern. We start 7 p.m. Eastern. And if you're on the other side of the world and you wonder, what's Eastern? Well, just look up New York time then. 7 p.m. New York time. Um, and we do that through Friday, six days a week, every Saturday, uh, by the grace of God, 2 p.m. Eastern. 
Will Senior says, uh, thank you, brother. We had a three-hour drive, and you really made our drive pleasant. Shalom. Well, thank you very much. Um, yeah, well, thank you. Blessings multiplied to you and, uh, and to yours, uh, Will. Okay. I'll see you guys tomorrow night. Be blessed, guys. I appreciate you guys. Be blessed. As always, I pray the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face to shine upon you. Lift up his countenance upon you and give you wonderful, wonderful shalom. Amen, amen. See you tomorrow.